All right, I think everybody's got their, let's finish praying if you find your seats and you get back to your uh, places, why don't you take your Bibles, turn to Genesis. All right, Genesis chapter 25. We've just finished a character study on Jonah, and I don't know, uh, for those of you who've been around for a while, I was just looking back in the, in the uh, records, and we have so far on our Wednesday night character studies, we've studied the life of Elijah, Moses, Peter, Lot, Gideon, John the Baptist, Ruth, Job, and Jonah. So we've went through quite a few men in the Bible so far, one lady, and uh, tonight we begin to look at a different guy in the Bible that we know well, and that is the life of Jacob. And so we're going to look at the life of Jacob for the next, I say, few weeks, year, whatever long it takes. So, uh, you know, it's hard to tell when you begin because sometimes you think, I have kind of a basic outline, but... Sometimes you get more and, and some, some different things we look at as we go through. But uh, I don't know about you, but it's a tremendous help to me, and I enjoy character studies. I like reading, about, I like reading biographies of, of great men in history and uh, even infamous men in history. It's always a learning opportunity. So as we look at uh, the mistakes and the victories of men in the Bible, it helps us to learn in our own lives, helps to connect. Because the nice thing about people is that people were people then, like people are people now. And Jacob and Abraham and Moses and, and the disciples, these weren't superheroes. Uh, they weren't uh, any, they had the same struggles and problems and issues that you and I face, and, and uh, they just were used of God in a great way. Now, the record of Jacob's life is very important, scripturally speaking, and historically speaking, because to understand the history of the nation of Israel correctly, uh, you really have to study Jacob's life. Uh, he, through Jacob is how the nation of Israel got its name. Israelites, Israel is what his name was changed to. Uh, the 12 tribes of Israel originated with Jacob, with his 12 sons. So Jacob is a very key historical character and focal point in the history of the nation of Israel. But that's not why we're going to study the life of Jacob. Again, uh, as I say until it gets sick, we get sick of it. We learn the primary purpose of Bible study is not knowledge; it is application. And so, what do we, as we look at Jacob's life, uh, as we did with Saul's life? Ooh, I miss Saul. Add Saul to that list. We also studied Saul, uh, but as we looked at Saul, we saw a lot of do nots. He did a couple of things all right, but we saw mostly with Saul's life what not to do. And uh, these are both things that we can learn. I always encourage my sons. Uh, to spend time with men, ask questions. Uh, my uh, son is now uh, graduating college this, uh, this spring, and he'll be uh, interning for a church out in California. And I always encourage him, when you, when you, whenever you meet preachers, ask questions, ask about their mistakes, ask about their failures, because if you can learn off of another man's failure, uh, it might save one of your own. And uh, I'd much rather learn off of your failures than mine. Amen. So uh, that, that's, uh, that's what we're doing. We're, we're studying these characters. And Jacob was a very flawed person. His life illustrates the fact that if you sow evil, you're going to reap evil. The sowing and reaping principle is all over Jacob's life. The flesh and spirit battled constantly in Jacob. 
and often the flesh won, as we'll see that as we go through his life. Uh, but though he failed miserably many times, he finished his life well. And so let's get into his life and see what we can learn from him. Tonight, we'll start with his birth. Okay, look at verse number 20 of chapter 25. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, Syrian, of Panoram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, see how fast that happens? This is how we, do, this is how we read the, the Bible sometimes. Uh, his wife was barren. Jake, uh, Jake, uh, Isaac prayed. The Lord heard. His wife conceived. That all happened in three little lines. But we don't realize there's 20 years in that verse right there. So he prayed for 20 years. For 20 years she bore the shame. For 20 years they begged and pleaded and cried out for God. And so sometimes we read this and we don't stop to think, uh, oh yeah, that's easy. She couldn't have children. He prayed, God gave her children. Yeah, but there's, there's some time that went on. There's some faith that was required. Now look at verse 22. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, if, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. So, her first little baby was a little monkey baby. All hairy. That'd be scary when he came out that way. After that came out his brother, or came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob, and Esau, or Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. So, in our first verse, he was 40 years old, and his, on, when they were born, he was 60 years old. So, that's where I get that 20 years. 20 years without children, and then they had these children. Father, we ask you to use this tonight and challenge us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, Jacob's birth and what occurred in his mother's womb before he was born were quite unusual events. He was born a twin, but he was completely different than his twin brother Esau. His appearance was different, his personality was different, and his future, his prospect. Oh, they were very different all throughout their lives. He was different in spiritual perception, spiritual interests, spiritual influence, and purpose. Jacob was chosen by God to be the line in which Jesus Christ would come, through, through which Jesus Christ would come. And uh, his, his sons would be, like I mentioned, the beginning of the 12 tribes of Israel. So the, he was blessed by God in many areas, but he did not always live a life to fit his calling. But let's look first at the difficulties before the birth here. Uh, there were two significant difficulties that preceded the birth of Jacob and his twin brother. The first we see was barrenness. Look at verse 21. Uh, he treated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Now, she was barren for 20 years, and they wanted children. Uh, the, this barrenness was a very painful experience for Isaac and Rebekah both, uh, this was a day, now in our day, our thinking might be a little different. Many people today view children as a burden instead of a blessing, uh, and or a problem rather than a privilege, and that's not how it was seen then, nor is it how it should be seen. The Bible says that children are a blessing and a heritage of the Lord, uh, but the today we have the abortion movements, we have the feminist movement, different, uh, you know, the 
focus on careers that look at children uh, as a burden instead of a blessing. In the days of Isaac and Rebekah, it was a very painful experience when a woman was barren. And many people, even to add to that, there was kind of a societal curse on it because many people felt if a woman was barren, it was judgment from God. So you did something wicked to deserve this. So imagine that. Not only do you have a problem where you can't have children, but now you're seen as some special evil that God kept it from you. So there was kind of a double whammy when they couldn't have children. It was a test for their faith because God promised Isaac that the promised seed, Christ, uh, would come through him in Genesis chapter 21, verse 12. Uh, he promised that he would uh, have uh, this, this uh, nation would be built through him. And just like Abraham, you know, for years God promised Abraham, you're going to have the father of a great nation. God, that's kind of hard when I don't have children. And so this is a test of faith, and so it was for Isaac. How often our t- faith is tested by a failure of results. I mean, you might witness to somebody, a loved one, and they just don't get saved and want to have nothing to do with it. Or uh, you might invest years in trying to raise a child right and invest in them and teach them the, the Bible and take them to church and do all these things, and they turn out and go wayward. And uh, we sometimes our faith gets tested during those times. We look at our failures and our successes as barometers for our faith sometimes. And when things work against us, we start to doubt especially when we see the world around us succeed. You know what was happening the whole time Jacob and Rebekah couldn't have children? What was happening is Esau was having passels of kids. He was having kids all. So especially when we look at those around us and there seems to be success in those that are doing wrong in the world around us, but we can't, uh, it can test our faith. Uh, but by the way, our faith needs to be tested for it to grow. And better to wait a long time for a great blessing than to get it quickly and it not be anything special. So Jacob's response here to the problem was good. Uh, It was very good. He prayed. He took it to the Lord. This was a better response to barrenness than his father, Abraham. Remember what Abraham did? Abraham took his uh, wife's servant and uh, had a child with her, Hagar. So uh, he's actually responding better than Abraham did. Instead of taking action himself and making a mess out of it, he takes it to the Lord and he prays about it. So when uh, uh, prayer, that needs to be the forefront in our lives when trials and difficulties confront us. And it's not always, not always our go-to, but it needs to be. When we try to fix the problem ourselves, how many times do we make our problems worse? I think we have probably take testimonies of that probably from different people tonight. Uh, I've done it. You probably have too. So presumably he prayed for 20 years for his wife to have children. This is dedication in prayer. Uh, how often have we continued to pray about our needs for that long? And uh, a lot of times we give up far too quickly. Men ought always to pray and not to faint, Jesus said in Luke 18, 1. Uh, it, it, when our prayer is not answered, continue to keep praying and asking God for it. Many of us quit praying all too quickly. So there was the barrenness, and now look at the battle. In the womb, nonetheless. So the problem of the barrenness ended. Now another problem arose. And this was a big disturbance, as you can imagine, in her womb. Verse 22, the children struggled together within her. Now the word struggle comes from a Hebrew word that means to crush together, to grievously oppress. I had, have, three brothers. Actually, I have four brothers with my adopted brother. Uh, But I didn't grow up with my adopted brother. But the three brothers that I grew up with, we occasionally 
uh, did this, tried to crush and grievously oppress each other. And uh, you've probably seen that if you've had boys. And this is no small disturbance. This is a serious battle going on, but it was going on in the womb. It's bad enough if your kids fight after they're born, but to fight before they're born, this would be a big problem. Now, this struggle that's going on between them, it represents and portrays the struggles in our world. It portrays a struggle between the serpent and the seed of the woman. It portrays a struggle between the two natures of the believer. It portrays the great struggle between good and evil, between God and Satan. There's a constant battle between sin and righteousness. And so what does Rebecca do? Well, her husband had given her a great example. He had went to the Lord about her barrenness. So what does she do? She goes to the Lord. Verse 22, if it be so, why am I thus? Now, she's experiencing what so many people experience, confusion about troubles in life. Why is this happening to me? Have you ever asked that question before? I think we probably all have asked that question before. Uh, some, and especially, um, a lot of prayer had went up about the barrenness, and God answered that prayer. And now along with the prayer, uh, problems accompanied the blessing. And this is confusing to her. Why do problems accompany the blessing? Uh, that's uh, hard for us to take sometimes. Well, the scripture actually gives a couple of reasons for this. Number one, to inhibit pride. Uh, Paul addressed this exact issue when he was talking about this in the New Testament to the Corinthians. He had been given great blessings. In fact, he listed all his pedigree and the blessings of divine inspiration that God had given him. But then he added in chapter 12, verse 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure, that's pride, lest I become proud, lest I become exalted, lest people make a hero out of me uh, through the abundance of revelations that was given me. So God gave me more than he has given most people. Paul recognized that. And lest I should be exalted, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. With the blessing came a problem. And do you know why? So it would keep him humble. Uh, lest I should be exalted above measure. He said it again. So we have a tendency to become proud when God blesses us. Problems do a lot to curb that pride. And so uh, he was given a lot of blessing. He was also given a problem along with it. So it inhibits pride. Secondly, sometimes it increases blessing. Rebecca's problem in the womb uh, led to her being given a divine prophecy about Jacob and Esau. We find in verse 23. Uh, look at what it says in verse 23. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the people shall be strong. The one people shall be stronger than the other people. There's several things here that we see uh, she, that, by the way, she went to the right place. I mentioned that just a second ago. She prayed. She didn't go to some heathen idol. Uh, she went to the one who had ended her barrenness and answered that prayer. So she went to him again. She went to the right person. God is our best help in time of trouble. But look at verse 23, and the Lord said unto her, God responded to Rebekah's prayer by clarification. How much spiritual ignorance in our life is a result of prayerlessness? Many of our perplexities in life would be solved through supplication and prayer to God Almighty. And we need to be, uh, again, how many times we've said it, but it's our greatest weapon, yet often the least used weapon in our arsenal. So we need to be in prayer. So secondly, then we see a declaration about the birth because her prayer was answered and she received encouragement in this declaration. Look at verse 23. And the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. 
There's several declarations here given that would give her great comfort. Number one, the declaration said that Rebecca would give birth. Now, imagine in a time before doctor's visits, before ultrasounds, and you've got something happening inside you that you can't figure out. I mean, for you ladies who've been pregnant, remember, uh, you, I, I remember during some, you could lay the hand on the stomach. Oh, I feel it kicking. Oh, they were kicking, but they're kicking each other and punching each other and fighting. They had, were trying to oppress. They were uh, having a battle inside, and she couldn't get an ultrasound. She didn't know what was going on in there. By the way, she probably didn't know there were twins in there. I mean, you don't know without that kind of help that we have today. So this would be a big encouragement. First of all, you're going to give birth. That's good to know that the baby's going to live. And so this was uh, encouraging to her. It also informed her she was going to have twins. What a blessing that's going to be in a time when the abundance of children was a blessing. She's been barren for 20 years, and now she's going to have two children. And so this would be an encouragement to her. Psalm 127.4, As arrows are in the hand of mighty man, so are the children of thy youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. I'm more mighty than many of you because I have more arrows. Okay, So uh, that's a blessing. Children are a blessing. Now, the typical attitude of our day today concerning children does not jive with, script, with Scripture and the Bible attitude about children. So if you have a lot of children, that's a blessing of the Lord. That's a good thing. I know it doesn't seem like it when you're trying to pay the bills and trying to put diapers on them and, and doing all that stuff, but it is a blessing. And then God said the two born to Rebekah would become two nations. You know what that says? Do you know what the survival rate was for children before modern medicine? It was low. It was, it's, it was scary low. And here he finds there would be two fathers of great nations. What does that mean? They're going to survive to adulthood. They're going to have families. Rebecca's going to be a grandmother. All right, She's getting all this encouragement in this little announcement that God's making to her. So she, because uh, there, there's, there's no nation without offspring, understand. There's no great peoples without having children and, and surviving. So uh, all these things would serve to encourage her. And then there was some enlightenment uh, added to the encouragement, gave some details. He talked about their separation. Two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, verse 23. Uh, the separation speaks of hostility that would be uh, prevailing between these boys and their descendants. The word separated refers to the boys' hostile relationship to each other, also referred to the go ongoing conflict of their peoples. You know how long that went on? Still going on, even today. Their strength one people shall be stronger than the other people. Verse 23, the descendants of Jacob and Esau were not equal in political strength. During the time of David, especially, you saw uh, the Israel, Jacob's descendants, and then the Edomites were Edom, or Esau would later become Edom. Uh, they were. You saw this uh, inequality even in his day. And then their status, verse 23, the elder shall serve the younger. The usual status among Men would not be followed in the case here because usually the firstborn got that honor, but not this time. Jacob, which was born after Esau, was the one given the birthright honor, which the chief honor in that birthright was to be in the line of Christ, and that fell to Jacob, not Esau. This reversal reminds us that God does not always honor the way that we honor. We need to remember that. You remember when David was summoned in front of Samuel? when all Jesse's sons prayed in front of him when he was choosing the next king and uh, David wasn't even invited to the party, Samuel, each one that he saw, oh, that's got to be him, tall, dark, and handsome. Yeah, I mean, looks like a Yoder. 
So, I mean, it's just got to be him. And uh, that God, each one, no, he's not him. And then in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 16, the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. So, uh, he looks differently. Than, he evaluates differently than we evaluate. And we need to learn to honor what God honors. But to do this, we have to forsake the world's way of evaluating and honoring. And this is important. Even in our churches, I have to look at this um, as I look at potential staff and interviewed a number of young men and, and looking at different people. And, and uh, I have to gauge how God gauges. I mean, it's nice if they are talented. It's nice if they have a great personality. It's nice if everything looks good on the outside. But uh, is character important? Yeah. Character is really important, and so we want to make sure that we gauge the way God does. Then look at some of the details of the birth here. Uh, the birth of Jacob and Esau would be a great event in the household of Isaac and Rebekah. They had waited 20 years for children. When the time came for the big day, there would be a lot of activity among the servants. Others would be involved. They know there's twins coming because God has told her. And uh, But more than anyone involved could imagine the significance in world events in these two boys being born. Look at verse 24. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. God had promised, and now God fulfilled his promise. Rebecca learned again that God keeps his promises. Can I tell you, God is still keeping his promises. We can trust him. Whatever God says will happen, will happen. And she saw that. Look at the assignment of names here. The names given the boys had to do with some abnormal features. The names of Esau and Jacob did not have high and holy meanings. Isaac and Rebekah, not to be critical, but they weren't very good at naming their children. Um, have you, some of you work with schools today, have you seen the names people name their kids in this day and age? I have a, have a girl I know... Um, that named her son Zero. I was thinking, man, I would thanks, Mom. I'm the Zero. That's my name, Zero. And there's a there's a bunch of different people named their kids different things. Um, they weren't very good at. It. No wonder later God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Okay, so look at how they named them. Verse 25. And the first came out red all over like an hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. Esau has his name. It just means hairy. So. In their language, they called him Harry. Not Harry, H-A-R-R-Y, but Harry, H-A-I-R-Y. He was also very red at birth. And he was Harry, came out looking like a little monkey when he was born. And so they looked one, took one look at him and said, man, that boy is Harry. Let's name him Harry. What a name, huh? As he grows up, he's already self-conscious. I mean, he's furry. When, when, Jake, when Jacob grew up and wanted to fake out his dad, he put the skin of a goat on his arm. Esau was a hairy dude. Like, I don't know, uh, probably nobody we've seen today. He was really hairy. And so that's what the name, hairy. Like, throw that at It's like if a kid's overweight, you call him fatty. I mean, his whole life, it's not, uh, it's not a good thing to call him. But that's what they did. They call him Esau. By the way, later his name was changed as well to Red. He was called Esau, hairy. Later his name was called Edom, which means Red. So, uh, super... Deep theological names he had. Look at Jacob in verse 26. After that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. So when Jacob was born, one of his little hands gripped the heel 
of the twin before. By the way, I'm not going to get into it, but uh, this, I learned, I did a little reading on this this week. Typically, twins are born about 30 minutes apart. This would have been really hard on Rebecca for two boys to be born right, just boom, boom, right after each other. So she, he's holding on to the heel, and uh, they look, took one look at him. And by the way, the action took place before they were born. Uh, Hosea chapter 12, verse 3 says he took his brothers by the heel in the womb. So before they ever, before the heel left, he didn't, it wasn't a hand like came out and grabbed. I mean, he already had a hold of this. They were still fighting. <laughs> it's like that when uh, I would try to escape up the stairs from my oppressive brothers trying to fight me and they'd hold, you know, try to grab on that last bit. That's what was going on here. So this meant that uh, the, the, the fight that was going in, inside kept on coming. This gripping of the heel was prophetic of Jacob's life. It resulted in him being called Jacob. The name Jacob means, ready for this, heel grabber. So, man, they put a lot of thought in these names, didn't they? I remember when we have our babies, typically, we spend the day in the hospital while, it, while she's lucid and talking and able to converse, and we have a list, and we're writing names down. It's a, you know, usually, I think we knew most of the time, except the first time, what it was going to be. So what are some name options? And we had a, remember when we named Micah, I had a long list. I still have a picture of the names, um, so I could show him later. That's what you could have been named, but uh, we ended up with Micah, but... Uh, so we're going through these names and trying to figure, I always thought, you know, I want to have some kind of meaning behind the names. Uh, Barbara, we named after her mother-in-law, her mother, my mother-in-law. And, uh, you know, that name means something. Uh, my son, Timothy, he was named after the man that led me to the Lord. And uh, different, different reasons we have for naming children. So they, well, this one's Harry, we'll call him Harry. This one's holding on to a heel, we'll call him heel holder. So real lot of thought into this. And then uh, the word heel holder, the idea is grabbing the heel of somebody else to try to trip them up. The word is, the, the meaning is encapsulated in the word supplanter. That's, that's another name for, meaning for the name Jacob, supplanter. In fact, Esau used that in Genesis 27, 36, when he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, for he hath supplanted me? Supplanter. This supplanting character is what characterized Jacob's conduct all too often. And it did a lot to defile his character. It makes me wonder. I don't know if you've ever read. I've always wondered about names and meanings behind names and how it seems to people fit their names. I don't know why that is. But um, did Jacob, uh, he, he was marked from day one, really minute one of hour one of day one of his life. He was marked as a supplanter. He was marked as a deceiver. And it makes you wonder how much that had to do with the forming of his character. I don't know if you can just bestow a name on somebody and, and you kind of are shaping them for life. There's people that believe that kind of thing. But um, did they allow certain behaviors of him? Yeah, that's Jacob. He's a supplanter. Uh, he's a deceiver. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. It makes you wonder about that. But look at then the age of his father, verse 26. And Isaac was threescore years old when he bear him. The state... The text ends with that, and again, it's one of those incidental things in Scripture, but it's really important when it comes to established Bible history. Uh, these connectors help to establish the validity of the Bible and the fidelity of Scripture. Uh, in the early books of the Bible, the ages of the patriarchs were very important because it helps connect uh, links to the early history of man, and it also substantiates biblical history. So, so this was Jacob's beginning. Marked 
This is what we're going to start with, and we're ending up with him being marked a supplanter, a deceiver, a conniver. And that's who Jacob was. That's how he grew up. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much his name had in the shaping of his character, but I do know that when God changed him, God changed his name too. And we'll get to that later. But uh, as we continue to examine his life, uh, we want to look specifically at how his actions brought about the consequences that they did and the actions we can avoid in our life and the actions we need to uh, take on in our life as well. So that's some things about the beginning of Jacob, and we'll continue him next week. Father, we ask you to use this.